Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and we call by his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will not be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, and that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to be, preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the, mes- for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, who are being saved, it, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the 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 philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded demanded signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a tumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, think of what you you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to, to nullify the things that are so 
that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast about it, boast in the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom you give us to come to your word, to come to you, to hear from you and what you want to say to us. So tonight, Lord, I just pray that you speak to us powerfully through your word, that you'll challenge us in Christ, and that you'll help us to live lives boasting in Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine if you ask someone, what is the church like today? I think you get a whole range of answers. I doubt anyone will respond to you and say that the church is perfect. In fact, they'll most likely say that we're divided. I mean, look at all the denominations, the divisions within churches. We have so many titles and labels too. I follow Calvin. I'm an Arminian. We also latch on to different teachers or influential people. I follow Daryl. I follow David or Brendan, Josh or someone else. We have issues in the church too, don't we? From music styles to how we do communion, from policies to the color on the wall, you name it, someone's probably had that issue before. You talk to non-Christians and they'll tell you that the church is a bunch of hypocrites. All the pastors are pedophiles, swindlers, and they know Christians who are sexually immoral. And they can't even get along with each other because they're always infighting and quarreling. And we know that these comments, uh, they all have some truth in them because churches are messy. There are pastors and leaders who have done terrible things. And Christians who just live like the world. Divisions everywhere for any reason under the sun. You see, the church of today, even our church, it isn't perfect, is it? In fact, it's messy, it's divided, and we need to be reminded of this. And in this way, today's church is not too different from the church in Corinth, as we've just begun to look at. You see, Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. Think of New York or London or really any big major city. It was in the middle of the major trade routes from north to south, east to west, people moving in and moving out. It was materially prosperous. They were wealthy. It was a place where all the new teachings would come and spread. And because of all this, it was morally bankrupt. Corinth became this throwaway word to mean immorality. And the saying, to Corinthianize, means to go to the devil, to hell. It sounds a bit like where society is heading today. And this culture was seeping into the church. You see, the Corinthian church, it wasn't perfect. It was far from it. It's just like the church today, messy and divided. And they needed to address this. And that's why Paul writes to them to say, Corinth, we have a problem. And we as a church, as Christians who call Sunnybank home, as we look at this letter today and in the coming weeks and months, God wants us to take a good look at ourselves, for us to have a good look at our church and to align our lives and our churches more and more with him. 
because as we look at this introduction, it's not about us anyway. In fact, it's all about Jesus. Have a look at verses 1 to 9. Nine times, probably ten, Paul deliberately drops the name of Jesus into his greeting. Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of who? Of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, who to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It keeps going. He greets them in Jesus. The grace given to them is in Jesus. He's the one that's enriched them. Their testimony is about Christ, and they're waiting for Christ to be revealed, to return and come again. And God calls us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. You see, it's all about Jesus. That's how Paul begins this letter, this letter, remember, to a messy, divided church, a church that's morally corrupt and lost with the world. He tells them and he tells us it's all about Jesus. He saves. The grace that we have from God is in Christ. He enriches. Christ is the one that grows us into his likeness. He's the one that's coming again on the last day and he's the one that's called us God has called us into fellowship with. But don't we as a church, don't we love to make it about something else? We love to make church, Christianity and life about things that are other than Jesus. Whether it's about the worship experience or the powerful motivational speaking, getting the rituals done and ticked off, climbing up to an influential leadership position, following your family, finding a partner, belonging to a friendship group. Some of these are okay things to look for in a church, but it's not the focus, the center, the highlight, because it's all about Jesus. Life, Christianity, church. And if we gather in church and never get to Jesus, I think we really miss the whole point of why we're together, why we're united why we sing and pray and teach and learn and grow and fellowship. If we never hear the gospel during the church service, I think we do have a problem. If our kids uh, come from kids' church and tell us about Bible stories and morals and never talk about Jesus dying on the cross, then we have a problem. If we never talk to each other after church during the week about the saving message of Jesus, then that's a problem. If our youth, our young adults, if any of our ministries never get to the saving message of Jesus, then Sunnybank, we do have a problem because it's all about Jesus. That's how we're saved. And that's, how, that's why we gather as a church tonight. I recently heard someone say, uh, there are some Christians who talk about Jesus way too much that their favorite member of the Trinity is Jesus, and they really need to talk about him less. In some senses, this comment has a bit of truth. We can't ignore the role of the Father or the Spirit, uh, because the whole Trinity works together in God's saving plan. But look at what Paul says here. Look at what he says in these nine verses. He focuses on Jesus. Think about the work of salvation, how we're saved, who became flesh, who died and rose again, to whose name is salvation found in? The answer is Jesus. 
So by saying it's all about Jesus, we're not ignoring the Father or Spirit, but we're highlighting Christ's significant role in saving us. We're saved in Christ alone, just like we sang before. That rugged cross, my salvation. And that's what we mean by saying it's all about Jesus. So even in this introduction to this letter, I think Paul's challenging us to reflect and to make sure that the gospel is front and center of our church, that Jesus is front and center of our lives, because it's all about Jesus. It's not about anyone else. And that's what Paul moves on here to address, because as we keep going, we find the purpose of this whole letter in verse 10. Have a look. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. You see, Paul wants this church in Corinth, he wants them to be united with no divisions, just like a piece of cloth to be knit together in mind and thought, instead of ripping apart the fabric of the community. And we find one of these divisions here in verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulus. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. In the bulletins we get every week, uh, there's usually a list of speakers for the day. And when you read this, uh, do you look at the names and go, oh, not him again, not Daryl, boring. Or do you say, yes, I'm looking forward to the sermon now. This guy is preaching. It's easy for us to like certain teachers and to follow them exclusively. To say, I follow Daryl, or I follow David, or I follow Josh, or whoever it may be. And to even get down to argue over it. Daryl's really the best because he really brings home the application. I love David's illustrations, so I follow him. Brendan loves his big words, doesn't he? He's so much more sophisticated than the others. I'm sure many of us do this subconsciously. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about here. Paul brought the gospel to the church in Corinth and the guys, they were saved, and they say, I follow Paul. Then Apollos came, and then he preached the same gospel with his own personality. People came to Christ, others liked his preaching, and they said, I follow Apollos. Then Peter, or Cephas, he came. He preached the gospel with his personality, his Jewish influence, and the same thing. Some began saying, I follow Peter, and then others I'm not sure if this is out of religious pride or sincerely, but they join in this argument and say, well, for me, Jesus is my homeboy. I follow Christ. You see, the church was divided on which teachers they followed, even though they presented the same gospel, just with their own style and rhetoric. And they even argued over this. They were divided over this. And Paul says, listen, guys, it's all about Jesus. It's not about anyone else. Verse 14, is Christ divided? Either meaning, can we split up Christ like this? Or does only one group have the real gospel? Either way, the answer is no. 
was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Obviously not. Adding to uh, these following, following teachers, uh, some people followed the teacher who baptized them. And here Paul's really glad that he didn't baptize many of these guys. He, can even, he can't even remember who he baptized. So it's not about baptism anyway. Paul says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He says, I didn't come here to baptize. I didn't come here to speak with wisdom and expression. You see, the Corinthians, they loved orators, public speaking. But Paul says it's not about the performance. He says, my job and all our jobs is to preach the gospel, to preach the cross of Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anyone else. And I think that's something that we need to remember, especially in today's age. You see, we're so privileged as Christians in the 21st century. We're in this kind of golden age of Christian resources, books, online sermons and podcasts, blog posts, even good, solid gospel songs that rival the hymns of the ages. We have multiple pastors in each church and multiple churches even on this street. I can wake up tomorrow morning and listen to a sermon from Francis Chan all the way in California or read Desiring God by John Piper. I could go to Kurong and buy any book I wanted, published from all parts of the world and through all ages in history. The choices are just endless. We have all these teachers right at our fingertips. And it's so easy to find the guys we like to then go on and elevate these guys, to zoom in on these guys and say, I follow Daryl or David. There's six choices right here in this church. Or the thousands outside, I follow John Piper or Rick Warren, Andy Stanley, Billy Graham, Spurgeon, Calvin, you name it. It's so easy to look to these guys so much, even these good guys, and to slowly take our eyes off Jesus, to even break up into divisions on who we follow, then compare who we follow and judge people accordingly, when really all of them are teaching Jesus. Paul, Apollos, Peter, Daryl, Piper, Calvin. It's crazy for a church to divide on which teacher we follow. It's just crazy when it's all about Jesus. I'm not sure how much of this fan club uh, behavior we have here. It's not a really obvious problem to me, but I know for the young guys, uh, we do latch on to various celebrity preachers. We like our labels and tags. And for those, all of us who call SDBC home, I do hear comments around the place like, I wish he'd preach more, or I'd wish he'd preach less, or why did he preach today? It's crazy to talk like this, to split up like this, to divide like this when they're all preaching Christ. We need to remember it's all about Jesus. It's not about anyone else. We're saved by him. We're baptized into his name. It's his church. And we're all proclaiming his saving message, the message of the cross of Christ who's crucified for us. 
And that's what the next section focuses on. The message of a crucified Christ. And this was a problem for both Jews and Greeks. As we look around today, uh, the symbol of the cross is so widely used. Used in churches, in logos, in shirts, on jewellery. You'll even see non-Christians with a cross on their necklace or a tattoo with a cross on them. It's become a fashion thing, a Christian logo with a good feel to it. But if we rewind back to the first century, the cross was anything but good. It was the most humiliating way to die. The Greeks used the cross to put people and provinces in their place, to say, look, this is what happens when you make trouble, when you rebel against the empire. It was the most despicable way to be executed. And the Jews, they hated the cross too. It's a curse to be hung on a tree in Deuteronomy. It's shameful to be publicly naked. So this wasn't the sort of Messiah that they were looking for, a crucified Christ. They'll say, are you kidding me? A crucified Christ? It's undignified. It's humiliating. You don't want to even mention a king of yours who was crucified. It's shameful. It's not wisdom. It's something to be quiet about. But God turns uh, this human wisdom upside down. The cross turns the world's ways upside down. It's not impressive or wise in the world's eyes, but this shameful, seemingly foolish thing, a crucified Christ. It's part of our gospel message. In fact, it's central to how we're saved. That rugged cross, my salvation, is what we remember in communion. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, God's power is in a crucified Christ. To the world, it seems stupid, dumb, but to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. It's the only way we can be saved. It's the very reason that we can come before God as free and forgiven. Paul goes on in verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where, are the, where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He's saying, where are all you wise guys in the world? None of their human wisdom means anything before God because none of them can ever reach up to God. None of them with their wisdom can ever find a right relationship with God. That's why their wisdom is really foolishness before God because only a crucified Christ can reconcile man and God, even if it sounds like a foolish message to man. God was pleased to use this seemingly foolish message, a crucified Christ, to save people like you and me. But the world just doesn't get it. A crucified king was both foolishness to the Jews and the pagan Greeks. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Remember the Jews, they wanted signs of mighty wonders to, to see that their Messiah is here and is going to kick the Romans out of here. 
So this King Jesus wasn't really up to their expectation. And the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. They wanted outstanding thinkers and speakers and orators. And the gospel, this message about a humiliated, crucified king, had no place in their wisdom. And the world today is the same, isn't it? How stupid is a crucified king in the eyes of society? What kind of message is this? All the world wants is power, wealth, and a good life. Push this to the extreme and we get this guy, Donald Trump, that's human wisdom at its best, rich, powerful, and opinionated. So according to human wisdom, it sounds so foolish. Even for some Christians, it just sounds foolish. That's why these guys, they talk about things like positive thinking and leadership and successful churches and your best life now, all good things, but quiet on the gospel, quiet on a crucified Messiah. But this is the way that God saves us. Verse 24, but to, the, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, God saves us through a crucified Messiah, Jesus. It might be foolishness in the world's eyes, but this is the power and the wisdom of God. It's the only way to set us free for us to be right with God. God's power is in a crucified Christ. It's the way God saves us and shows that even God's supposed foolishness and his weakness surpasses the wisdom of the world because human wisdom, remember, can never make us right with God. It's all about Jesus, a message of a crucified Christ. And Paul looks into his congregation to prove his point that no human wisdom can make us right with God. In fact, nothing that we can do ourselves can make us right with God. Paul says in verse 26, he says, look around, look at your congregation. And for us tonight to do the same, look around. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Sure, there were some smart guys there, some big names and similar here too. But not all of us, not many of us are intellectual, influential or noble in heritage. But keep going, God, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Look around, he says, we're a testament to this tonight the not-so-wise and the weak, shaming the strong and the wise. So it's not up to our intellect or our smartness or wisdom to be right with God. It's all God's work. It's all Christ's work. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God even chooses to save the lowly, those who are morally worthless, the despised people that the world hates and the nothing people that the world wishes didn't exist. And he does this to bring nothing to the things that exist, to turn human wisdom upside down because human wisdom has no boast, no effect before God. In fact, no one can boast 
because it's all God's choice and God's grace. It's all his work because God's power isn't in human wisdom. We aren't saved by human wisdom. It's about a crucified Christ. It's all about Jesus. And that's where Paul goes to end this chapter. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Jesus has come, has become for us wisdom from God, because human wisdom tried and tried and tried and tried and was unsuccessful in reaching God, because it never can and it never will. No matter how wise or smart or intelligent we are. But this is God's wisdom. We can never reach God on our own, but God reached down to us in Christ, Christ Jesus who lived, Christ who was crucified, and now lives and pleads for us in heaven. It's not our work. We didn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. So if we as a church, if we ever, ever, begin to think it's about us, that it's our wisdom, our strength, our programs and events, our slick services, our ministries, our pastors and our leaders. If we ever think it's about us, then we need to slap ourselves in the face. We need to snap out of it because it's not about us. It's not about anyone else. It's all about Jesus. And if we ever think that the gospel this message of Jesus is too shameful for us, that the cross is too foolish for us, that a crucified Christ is too humiliating for us, then we need to snap out of it too. You see, God's power to save is in a crucified Christ. It's only in Christ that we have righteousness, a right standing before God. It's only in Christ that we have holiness to be set apart from the world for God. And it's only in Christ that we have redemption, freedom from sin and death through the work of Christ. No human wisdom can ever give us this. And that's why we're united in proclaiming, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our boast is in Christ alone. That's where we find our unity as a church, in Christ. So let's remember this and let's pray to this end. Let's pray. Lord God, remind us afresh tonight that you've chosen us in Christ. You saved us in Christ, that you're working in us to be more like Christ and that Jesus is coming back again on the last day. Help us, Lord, work in us by your Spirit to see that it's really all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about human or worldly wisdom. So, Lord, help us not to be distracted by this world or to be divided because of the influences of the world. And, Lord, challenge us as a church to be united to proclaim boldly that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, Christ alone, our cornerstone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.